0: We are um, dead. Obviously.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, are you recording? Hit record.
0: Recording. How you doing? Not too bad. Tired a little bit, but I think I got a little bit of a power nap in and got the kids to bed.
1: I'm really excited to be doing this with you. You know this is season two, right?
0: Season two.
1: It's we've been doing this for over a year. I mean, sort of. We took a really long break, but
0: <laughs> it's okay, it counts.
1: Yeah, we started a year ago. So that's pretty mm-hmm. cool. And, you know, I've been watching and it, our audience is growing. It looks like it's getting up there and it's more every episode, so I feel like we're, you know, we're growing organically. So hey, thank you for listening if you're listening. Thank
0: you. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So what are we
1: what are, what's
0: what's what's the story today?
1: Well, um we're going to talk, we're going to the hold on. I'm going to read my my uh script really quick. So blah blah blah. So yeah, welcome to season 2. Really excited about season 2. I'm really excited about Starting another season of Obviously Haunted, but specifically starting another season with you, Allison. (laughs) I was a little concerned. I know that you might be having to take some, like, maternity leave from the podcast for a little while.
0: (laughs) my COVID baby. (laughs)
1: Yes. I mean, that's kind of amazing. That's like a story, right? It's
0: funny because right when the pandemic started, we were like, there's going to be such like a baby boom at the end of this nine months from now. And then we get pregnant.
1: Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to that. But I know that you might be a little busy. So I'm going to take advantage of having you around while I do. Mm-hmm. I do want to expand a little bit to some, like, different areas on the map this season. And maybe even some different types of stories. I'm still trying to butter you up to some of these alien stories. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Oh, your face! Eventually, I feel like we should record these so that everybody can see your face <laughs> when I say stuff like that. <laughs> anyway, I I'm looking forward to sharing some spooky stories and obviously with you, but also we've got some cool guest hosts like my 13 year old nephew Thomas. Is that that's gonna be a fun episode that's coming up later. <laughs> This week we're going to talk about a haunting that took place and is potentially still taking place in my brand spanking new hometown of Los Angeles. Nice. This story is about the Entity House in Culver City, California. Have you have you heard of the Entity? No. Well, it was like a movie in the 80s. We'll talk about it, but it was a scary super scary. It movie.
0: sounds like it would be a movie in the 80s. Yeah. But no, I I didn't see it.
1: Well, let's go ahead and do an intro real quick. For those of you who don't know, who maybe are just joining us or who just don't know who we are or what we do, uh, I'm Becky. And I'm Allie. And Culver City, California is obviously obviously haunted. haunted. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so since you haven't seen the entity, and actually, in all honesty, I haven't seen the entity. Uh, it can you can watch it streaming on Hulu, but I just want to give I want to give you Allison a trigger warning and then everybody else a trigger warning about this episode in particular because it does contain sexual violence. Okay. So really, if you're listening and that's going to be an issue for you, just skip this episode. There's going to be another episode in two weeks that is less triggering, and maybe you just want to listen to that one instead or go back and listen to one of the pandemic episodes or something like that
0: okay so is this movie the entity based after the story you're about to tell us yes cool okay so I'm ready it's
1: yeah it's one of those like based on a true story you know like uh, crap like all those Frank and Lorraine not Frank and Lorraine Ed and Lorraine Warren Mm -hmm. movies Mm mm-hmm There's a woman, her name is Doris Bither. Doris Bither moved to Los Angeles in the early 1970s. She was a single mother of four, and her life was already pretty far from easy. She was was struggling. She's on the struggle bus. Four kids. For uh, sure. Yeah,
0: I I get it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right? I mean, that all by itself, but then also... So she was she was kind of struggling, but they moved to Southern California and they moved into this small sort of ramshackle home in Culver City, hoping to make a fresh start in California. Right. Mm.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Unfortunately, Doris's experience in Culver City was not normal. It was not a fresh start. It was actually. horrible horrible event for her and everyone in her family so from the moment they moved into this house weird stuff started happening to all five members of the family strange events like loud noises voices heard from empty rooms unexplainable banging on the walls and you would think these kinds of things, okay, well, you. this is like a really small house, four or five people, one of them an adult, three out of four of the kids were like teenagers, basically. There's going to be banging and loud right. voices and all kinds of crazy yeah. stuff. But some of this stuff would happen when it was verifiable that there wasn't a person in that room or that none of the family members could have made the sounds that were happening they had lights that flickered they had objects that were violently thrown to the floor mm-hmm. it is southern california but they said no evidence of earthquake or any explanation for why these things would happen so it wasn't like oh no stuff is falling to the floor and we just had a 4.1 or whatever no they it wasn't an earthquake it was just randomly happening they even saw full body apparitions, so ghostly, sort of shadowy apparitions in the house. And they saw this apparition enough that one of the kids actually named him Mister Who's It.
0: Yeah, I'd be out of there, like <laughs> done with that house, moving out
1: as soon as your kid names yeah. your ghost. <laughs> you're like, no, no, we're getting out of here. No. I don't want to do that anymore. So one night, here's where it gets really upsetting and, like, pretty fucked up. So one night, this paranormal activity turned violent. And Doris was asleep in her bed. She woke up with the feeling of strong hands holding down each of her arms. Ah. And she started to panic and she was wide awake, but there was no one in the room. So she could feel herself being held down, but nobody was there with her. And eventually she felt a third entity who sexually assaulted a third? her. third? Mm-hmm. So it felt like multiple hands on either arm holding her down to oh the my bed. God. And then a third
0: person. Oh, my God. Oh,
1: my God. Oh, my God. That's terrifying. It is terrifying. I can't imagine. Like it's it would be the worst fear, I think, in that situation that anybody could really go through. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I know. <laughs> so obviously she's completely terrified. She has she doesn't know where to turn. She has suffered from trauma in the past and she has struggled with mental health and she was on medication for that mental health So, and she had a history of substance abuse. So she was pretty sure that nobody would believe her, that this was happening to her. And I think that's one of those things where, especially at the time, if you're thinking about, you know, the 1970s, it's not like, like there was a a real stigma to mental health issues and to trauma so even if this was you know totally like sleep paralysis brought on by post-traumatic stress or something like that this is she believes it. it's happening to her whether it's in her head or or a, a ghost this is happening to her and she has nowhere to turn because she feels like anywhere she's gonna go like they might take her kids away they might you know, lock her up. That she doesn't know what's. And this to do. just happened
0: once, or this happened multiple times. Multiple times. Ugh. It
1: it wasn't just her that the spirits got violent with. Like they actually, the the rest of the kids started to have invisible entities that would bite them, or slap them, or scratch them. And there is a report of one of her teenage sons. So, you know, I don't know how old he was, but I think he was, like, from the different things that I read, I think he was, like, 15 or 16. Mm -hmm. So, you know, young man, he walked in on his mother being assaulted, like, being thrown around physically and tried to intervene, like tried to grab his mother and pick her up and like pull her to safety. And instead of being able to pull her away, he was so violently thrown back that he actually broke his arm. Wow! There are medical records for that, for, the, for this broken arm. Huh. Yeah. So that's pretty upsetting. Wow. So she's suffering through these horrible attacks and... A friend of hers, she she had told some of the members of her family. She would told some friends. People had been over to the house and had experienced weird stuff at this point. One of her friends overheard two men talking about the paranormal in a UCLA bookstore. And found out that they were researchers at the UCLA Parapsychology Laboratory which doesn't exist anymore, and that really fucking bums me out because right now I'm sort of, like, in between careers, and if I could go back to school and, like, be a parapsychologist, like, holy crap, (laughs) totally do that. (laughs) I could see you doing that. Right? But it's just not. It's not a thing Mm. anymore. (laughs) It just sucks. Um, So these two guys, their names were Barry Taft and Carrie Gaynor. You can't write this shit. Barry and Carrie. I'm not even kidding. (laughs) Hmm. I love it. Okay, Barry and Carrie. So Doris contacted the men and they were intrigued by her story and they agreed to an investigation. And I think the reason that it's really important to talk about their backgrounds at UCLA is because, yeah, they were approaching it as believers, but they were also approaching it from an academic perspective, right? They didn't immediately think that her story was going to be true they just thought that it was worth investigating and they wanted to get as much evidence as possible
0: mm-hmm.
1: they did an investigation that lasted for months not like a night not like a couple weeks it months long why would they they spent be in that house for months ah. <laughs> well i don't think they were like there all the time um But they did spend several hours, I mean, like, hours and hours over these months in the home, sometimes with Doris, sometimes without Doris. They interviewed every member of the household, plus some outside family and friends. They compiled as many corroborating stories about the haunting as they could. So they just, they talked to everybody that they could find to just see if the stories lined up where the inconsistencies were you know that kind of thing and they took photographs when doris and her children were in the house and a lot of those photographs showed white orbs or like white mists obscuring the photos the same photos in the same places when doris and her kids weren't home Would be totally clear. Hmm. So like same equipment. Same photographers. Same locations and times of day. The difference was. The people in the photos. And. They would get these phenomenon. Of like orbs and mist Only when that
0: family was there. Mm -hmm. Hmm.
1: So finally. Barry and Carrie. Convinced Doris. To antagonize the spirit. Like. Yeah, they want her, yeah, I know, I I just wouldn't, but they want her to antagonize them so that they actually will manifest because that's the thing that everyone has said. They've seen these full-body apparitions, and none of the investigators had ever witnessed that, even over a long period of time. So they convince her to antagonize the ghosts. So Doris is like a spitfire and just starts, like, cursing at them and yelling at them <laughs> and just being like, like, get the fuck out of my house, you sons of bitches. And uh, <laughs> um, what they witnessed when she was doing this, they, they were in her room. She was sitting on her bed. You can actually Google a photo of this, and I'll put it on our Instagram. But what they witnessed was Doris and a – Fog Like entered the room A really heavy fog entered the room The lights started to flicker Sort of uncontrollably And the fog Manifested itself into The complete Torso of an adult Male So they saw, there were several witnesses in the room Um, these Barry and Carrie And several grad students and Doris and they saw, everybody sort of corroborated that they saw the torso of uh, an adult male and then they saw a huge arc of like electricity going over the bed where Doris was sitting. Holy crap. I'm
0: looking at the picture right now and it's weird.
1: Yeah, it is. It's hard to explain.
0: Yeah. Some some sort of, yeah, like rainbow... Of but not a rainbow, yeah, like an arc of just this creepy halo around her. And she's just sitting on the bed like Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. And yeah,
1: with her hand her head in her hands. It's a it's a rainbow of fear. <laughs> yeah. Rainbow of terror. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, poor Doris. All of this was happening, the haunting the investigation garnered a lot of attention if you can remember way back when when we did the amityville horror this was a period of time where hauntings were kind of hot you know people really liked it they thought it was fun so there were other open hauntings that were happening and being investigated so this particular instance got a lot of attention in 1978 I'm going to apologize in advance for mispronouncing this name because I know it's going to be wrong. Frank De Falita. De DeFalita. DeFalita. I don't know. I don't know. Falita wrote a novel based on the story and the film adaptation came out in 1982. Okay. And that was The Entity that you can watch. At least last time I looked... You could watch it for free, streaming, I want to say on Hulu. Um, But I haven't looked lately, so who knows. Martin Scorsese actually said it's one of the scariest movies he's ever seen. Hmm. And part of it being really famous, I didn't... So I knew about this movie. I knew about this horror movie. And part of it being really famous is because of the scene where the actress playing Doris is assaulted. It's apparently really deeply
0: upsetting i've seen a movie where that's happened before Uh, i'm wondering if if i like caught a glimpse of of my parents watching the entity because i remember there was a a horror movie that there was sexual assault involved and it was it was like traumatizing
1: yeah um you might be right and it's because it wasn't It had some pretty mainstream fame. Like, it wasn't just a, oh, it's a horror movie. That was a period of time where, just like Amityville, where people were kind of into it. So it it really might have been something that you had stumbled upon at some point. So after all of this, Doris left Culver City. And she left the house, like, during this 10-month-long investigation. So while they were still investigating the house and the haunting, she's just, she's like, I can't handle it anymore. I'm going to peace out. And they bounced around. She and her family bounced around to a few different places in Southern California and eventually to Texas. And apparently these poltergeist followed her yeah. everywhere she went. So she thought, and they, and they actually told her Barry and Carrie They actually said, we think this is a genuine haunting. We think that you're only, you know, the only thing you can do is move out of the house. And she did. And it just followed her. Wow. From what I read, it seemed like while it was really bad, that it wasn't as bad. Like they would move somewhere and it would be fine for a little while. And then it would like kind of start up again. Like these whole, those, um this sort of activity would happen again. And so they would move somewhere else and it just kind of continued over and over. And the assaults didn't stop. And she actually went through... She had a a hysterical pregnancy at one point. So do you know
0: what that means? I'm guessing it... She either was pregnant or believed that she was pregnant but it was not real. Right. So
1: she had all of the symptoms of being like she stopped having periods, she started to get a belly, she was having all the symptoms of being pregnant like even you know a large yeah. pregnancy belly and it, there wasn't there wasn't a baby. So that's something that happens. I mean like that's there there's a lot of evidence of hysterical pregnancies like happening but it's really weird Mm -hmm. I mean and it's weird because it wasn't like it wasn't like there was another reason like it's not like she had a bunch of boyfriends or whatever like she didn't she didn't have a she never remarried she didn't have someone that she was sleeping with so she really believed that she had become pregnant because of these spectral this like spectral assault and and had all the symptoms of that and apparently it pretty much followed her until she died in 1995 and she was fairly young i can't i can't remember exactly what it said but she was like in her 60s she wasn't yeah she wasn't that old
0: and then what about her kids did were they still afflicted after she had gone are you not sure
1: I could not yeah. find any other information. I It seems to me like they sort of lived their lives very privately after that. there's not There's not a lot of information on them. I couldn't even find their names in any of the articles that I read. So I don't know if that means – like I didn't read the book. Maybe if I had read the book, there would be more information and I could have looked – them up but it seems to me that like none of them have written a book or anything like that none of nobody nobody in this story other than these like other than this like guy who wrote the novel and then the people who made the movie like they made money but Doris didn't make any money her kids didn't make any money like they didn't profit off this at all Hmm. which is kind of fucked up so if you end up in a haunted house and stuff is happening to you and people are like investigating and saying it's real make sure you sign that fucking contract (laughs) Get yourself a ghostwriter and put your own name on that book because somebody's going to take that story and do something with it and then you're not going to get anything for it. Yikes. But then if you do get money for it, I'm not going to believe that it was a real haunting. So I guess that's the issue.
0: (laughs) When you you were reading about her mental health, did it say what she was diagnosed with or being... Treated for? Yeah.
1: It talked... A few of the um, articles that I looked at, which I did look at, I looked at Wikipedia. I also looked at, there's um, a website called Ghost Theory. There's a website called um, ghostwatch.net. And there was one called LA Ghost Tours. I think there was another one, but I'll put this all (laughs) in the show notes um, on our website. When I was reading through, a couple of the articles said that she had A traumatic childhood, but they weren't specific about what had happened to her. Hmm. I would assume when people say traumatic childhood, I sort of assume at the very least you're talking about abuse or neglect. You know, things can get a lot worse from there. So so they said she did have like depression and anxiety. But in the 70s, it's so hard to I mean, people get misdiagnosed now.
0: You know what I mean? That's true. That's true.
1: It's hard to really say what was going on with her, but she did she did not find a peaceful life after Culver City. She didn't she continued to suffer and whether it's from the these entities or this these poltergeists or whether it's from her own trauma or her own brain, I don't I don't know what to say about that, but she just from everything that I read, she just had kind of a rough existence for the rest of, of her adult life. Um, and this the house is still there in Culver City. It's still standing. It's actually, like, kind of cute now. <sighs> like they fixed it up or whatever. It's privately owned, and none of the owners after Doris have reported any kind of...
0: It's, yeah, activity. it's strange how it, how this entity or whatever connected to her and maybe her family and just kind of followed her around. Yeah. That's, that's terrifying because it's like I always worry, like even now, it's like I'm moving into a new apartment duplex type thing next week. And it's like, holy shit, if it's haunted, uh, we have to figure <laughs> out our plan B. And and I, yeah, <laughs> I can't extent. imagine if. If it's like you find out where you're living is haunted and you leave and it follows you, like that would scare the shit out of me.
1: So I don't know how much I buy into any of this, but if you watch those paranormal activity kind of TV shows or whatever, like if you ever watch Ghost Adventures, which has Zach Baggins, and you know how I feel about Zach (laughs) Baggins. Everybody knows how I feel about Zach Baggins. So if you watch those, a lot of times they'll talk about like the difference between a, a classic haunting, like, a ghost who maybe used to be human haunting someone versus some kind of demonic activity. And a lot of times what, you know, true believers or, like, religious people think the difference is is if you have a ghost that's haunting, that's going to be, like, related to the space that you're in. Like, that ghost is attached somehow to that house or that land or something like that. But if you have uh, some kind of demonic entity or something that didn't used to be human, that that's more likely to attach itself to a person. Yeah. Personally, I, I read, and I think we've talked about this in the past, but I read a book when I was 16 or 17 that was about real poltergeist activity And it talked about several cases that were documented in like the early 30s or 40s by these German scientists and what they thought the phenomenon was. Because, you know, poltergeist is a German word. It means noisy ghost. And they thought the phenomenon was more of a psychic phenomenon, like was more of if someone had a lot of emotional energy that they had inside of them, that that emotional energy would sometimes leak out in the form of telekinesis without their control. And one of the the classic cases of this was a young woman who I want to say she was like 18 or something, but she was working in an office building. And basically, she would walk down the hallways and like, the light bulbs will would burst yeah. above her, and she thought it was like a ghost. She or she was cursed or something like that. But they, they decided that it had something to do with her. Like she was really high strung or something. She had hysteria. She was, you know, she was a hysterical woman. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it made the light bulbs burst. So now that I'm saying that out loud as an adult, I realize that that sounds really fucking sexist.
0: Oh, Doris.
1: But I think there's, I think there's something to that. Like. We're talking about a woman who clearly struggled and suffered in her life. So what if it wasn't that there were ghosts? What if it was that whatever her abuse and her struggle and her trauma, that she was trying so hard to just suppress that, that it was coming out in these other manifested ways?
0: Yeah, I mean, I... I think that that could be a, a possibility, uh, and I also kind of I think a little bit about sleep paralysis and how people can have some really strange uh, phenomena happen to them when they're when that's going on. Absolutely. But I don't know. This one, this particular haunting, is pretty intense. More so than I think some of the other ones. It's.
1: I think you're right. I think. And I think part of it is because it has to do with. Such extreme physical violence. Not just to her. But to her kids. Yeah. I can't. One of her kids. I think she had a young daughter who was like 10 or 11. When they walked in. Or when they moved into this house. So that's pretty young. To have to experience like biting and slapping and you know her son had his arm broken like that's that's some serious violence and these are things that happen to kids at the hands of adults you know when you're not even talking about a haunting or something so to add the extra element of like having no control or ability to even see your abuser or like avoid or cope you know what i mean how do you have coping mechanisms for that you don't and i i really hope that all of those kids were able to move forward and maybe had therapists or even just like trusted adults or someone in their lives that like could help them process some of that experience
0: right because it would be traumatizing yeah I'm reading on on a website, too, that uh, she was a heavy drinker, and they found that when she stopped drinking, the phenomenons also stopped.
1: You know, there you go. I think that definitely is a point for the bottled-up emotions or, like, overwhelming emotions yeah. manifesting. Yeah, and
0: a lot comes out sometimes when you're a heavy drinker and... You finally let your guard down and things... I don't know. That's pretty scary.
1: Maybe she was legitimately a superhero and just had telekinetic power and it was so traumatizing that she had this power that she had to drink um, to, like, forget. But then when she would drink and she'd, like, loosen up, she would be
0: like, oh, throwing shit around.
1: <laughs> Gonna slap my kids around from
0: the other room. Because it's hilarious. I also read on online about something uh, that has to do with, with um, sexual activity when you're sleeping and there's actually a word for it they call it sexomnia you're asleep you're asleep
1: and you like you're doing you kid like on someone. either that
0: or you're doing sexual acts on yourself I don't know but you wake up and you have no idea
1: oh my god <laughs> And then, like when you stop drinking and you realize that that's what it's been the whole time, you're like, "Oh, I'm so embarrassed." They made a whole movie about that shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh. Uh, um, you know, I I buy it. I think so. I I used to have night terrors. I wouldn't say regularly, but like regularly enough to, you know, have a top three, and. <laughs> The worst one that ever happened to me, I mean, I I could see thinking that sometimes that maybe it was like ghost activity or something, depending on what you experience. Because I had visual hallucinations when I had night terrors. Mm. Like I thought I was awake and I was experiencing the world as though I was awake. But I would be seeing something in front of me that was impossible, that couldn't be there. And one of the scariest ones was waking up Or thinking that I was waking up and like sitting straight up in bed. And you know that feeling where like you wake up from a nightmare and you're sweaty and your heart's racing Mm -hmm. and you're really scared? Yeah. It was like that. But when I sat up and I thought I was awake, I could see someone in the corner of the room, Uh. like standing in the corner of the room, recording me sleeping. What? With a camera. Yeah. So the camera... I could see the person's outline and I could see the camera and I could see like the red, you know, like an old fashioned camera. I could see like the red recording light. Freaky. It was really freaky. And but then as I like actually woke up, it it sort of faded away. It disappeared. And I realized that like, oh, now I'm like now that I'm calming down, like I'm actually awake and I can move and I'm in more control like that clearly didn't happen. But it was really real at the time. I mean, I also woke up once and could have sworn that a spider had just bitten my foot. (laughs) I knew that that was what I threw the covers, kicked my way out because I was like, "This just happened," but there were no spiders anywhere near me, and there was nothing wrong with my feet, and it hurt like it. My foot throbbed, and there was like a really sharp pain, and who it was just. It was just night terror. Wow. So, they can be pretty realistic, but that doesn't explain like night terrors and sleep paralysis and even what you're talking like, sexomnia. <laughs> what did you yeah, call it? it's
0: called sexomnia. <laughs>
1: sexomnia. As cool as that sounds, it actually doesn't sound that cool. Then you're asleep during
0: it. <laughs> no, I think it's yeah probably more exciting for the the, the experts that study it and watch the people
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh could you imagine being part of that sleep study you're like all right yes I give you permission to record Mm -hmm. this but I I do not give you permission to post it on oh my goodness none of that yeah but none of that explains what happened to her children right how do you explain her kids Having these things happen to her happen to and, them, and did
0: they say? How do you explain? Did they say specifically what happened to the kids? Were the kids actually like sexually assaulted as well, or was it the broken arm? It was the broken
1: arm. There, were, the kids weren't assaulted, not sexually assaulted, but the kids were slapped. They were bitten. Mm, they were scratched. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the broken arm happened when one of the older boys tried to inter- intervene with his mother being tossed around. There were hospital visits and things that were connected to these, which honestly could indicate abuse as well. Yeah,
0: that's what I was just and thinking.
1: I could I could see if she was a drinker, like I could see how one kid or maybe even two kids, especially if they're younger, could be sort of brought into like a mass hysteria kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. But four kids, I think three of the four of them were teenagers. It seems unlikely to me that all of them would go along with a story like that, to even as an explanation for abuse or or neglect that was happening. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe they would. Maybe if you want to protect your parent, yeah, you would. You would go that far. But there was a really long paranormal investigation that happened, and yeah. there were other family members. Like, you would think that somebody that they talked to would be like, nah, this is bullshit. She's just slapping him around or whatever. Right. Like, they would – somebody would come forward and say, you know, don't listen to her. She's full of shit. But that's not what happened. What happened was that friends and family members who had been to the house – said that they had experienced things that they had experienced the lights flickering and they had experienced things like moving by themselves and being like thrown across the room and stuff like that so even maybe even people who were more skeptical in her life nobody said that they thought that she was hurting her children nobody said that they thought that she was hurting herself And the the investigators, I think, to me, the thing that's, that's more convincing or that's convincing that something else was going on, maybe not a ghost. I mean, maybe it was, like, some kind of weird, you know, poltergeist, like, psychic activity or, you know, an overflowing of negative emotions or trauma or whatever. But they didn't gain anything from it and didn't actually, like, they didn't want the attention yeah. they didn't want people in the house all the time they didn't call a journalist or you know what i mean like they didn't make those phone calls they talked to a, a professional to a parapsychologist a, an academic or two academics these two people who were supposedly scientists who could prove you know and you'd think that if you were lying or you were intentionally faking something that you would call the press or you would call you know, someone who wouldn't necessarily be able to disprove that something was going on. Hmm. Do you think it's legit?
0: I I mean, it, this is so fascinating to me. I'm trying to read a little bit about it too uh, online, and <laughs> and I uh, I mean there there are recordings of of the deep breathing and this the voices, and then it said the the microphone just shut off on its own and then the, the things flying across the room and breaking. Um, and then I just, I just came across a website called ghost theory.com and it talks a little, bit about a, uh, interview that was done with the kids. And it's, uh, like one of the kids says that, uh, his mom started playing with Ouija boards and seances at a very early age, finally mixing such with drugs and alcohol to quell the irritable psyche within her. So that's something that I was wondering when you were talking about the story, because it's like, it's, I I seem, you hear a lot about these people that play around with Ouija boards and inviting spirits in, and, and, and the demons or spirits can attach to them. Like, and it's almost as if, they, yeah, they're being invited in, kind of like a vampire. It's like, hey, yeah, you know, come on in. And then, whoops, there you go. But okay, I I
1: played with Ouija boards a lot when I was a kid, <laughs> and I was I was a kid and I knew the rules. And I know that people don't know the rules, and I think that's really important. Don't play with a Ouija board mm-hmm. unless you know the rules. Like you don't you don't use a bandsaw. Unless you know the safety (laughs) procedures that go with a bandsaw. Like, you're not going to weld something without a welding mask. Don't talk to ghosts and demons without knowing the rules about how to protect yourself. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. I didn't
0: realize, like, I had friends at a party that just kind of pulled out a Ouija board and they started playing with it. And I kind of stayed in the background and just sort of watched. But I didn't realize there were (laughs) rules about it. And and since then I've heard like like the the thing that you move uh, whatever that's called the planchette. yeah mm-hmm. if that t- gets off of the board like if the feet of it get off of the board it like can allow the spirit in
1: oh I haven't heard that that
0: one. scared the crap out of me when I was listening to a podcast talking about that that was weird. We used
1: to use one of my mother's crystal glasses instead of the planchette that came with the... So it was like a real crystal. I mean, it was like a tumbler, so it was like a rocks glass or whatever. But it was made out of real crystal. And we used that because there was something that one of us had read in some, like, witch book that, see, sometimes witchcraft is to keep the demons away. Okay, anyway. (laughs) So we had read it in some, like you know, fucking Wiccan, like, we were so angsty, and that you, if you use a crystal planchette, that it, like, protects you from being possessed. Hmm. So, and you always have to say goodbye, like, you can't, you have to open and close the board, you can't just, like, leave it, you have to, Right. you have to get rid of it. And you have
0: to, like, put it away in a special place and yeah. So anybody out yep. there interested in playing with a Ouija board, find the rules, read those rules. Learn the rules. Yeah. yeah <laughs> be careful.
1: Exactly. Be car- just be careful. Just be careful. <laughs> Wear a mask, wash your hands. So <laughs> let's, let's give it a grade. Um, I'll let you grade it first. What do you think?
0: I liked this one. I would, I would give it an A. I, uh, I, I also like that it comes with some some photographs that are pretty interesting and oh so scary, uh, yeah. And, and I I kind of like the idea that it's not necessarily a haunted house, but it's this ghost entity that sort of follows this woman around and and uh, her her poor yeah. children. I like it. This is a good one. <sighs> poor children.
1: Yeah, I I actually gave it an A plus. I it's so terrifying. It's, this is the kind of ghost story that keeps me up at night. And I think part of that is a lot of my my personal belief around ghosts and hauntings is that they're not usually capable of hurting you or they don't want to mm-hmm. hurt you. You know, that they're just like doing their ghost thing. But these types of entities that are intentionally vicious, that idea is really terrifying to me. And the fact that there are over 30 witnesses and I'm going to say credible in quotes, because we have since decided that paranormal psych, like parapsychology as a field is not credible, but, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but at least at the time there were over 30 credible witnesses. And like you said, there's photographic evidence. It's, it's very compelling. Yeah. It's very compelling. Nicely done. I'm honestly afraid to watch the movie.
0: Yeah. And you <laughs> live in LA, so careful. Yeah.
1: I could okay. like, yeah, I could drive over there. I could drive over there and sit outside of that house and be like,
0: yeah, hey, please don't.
1: I'm not going to. I'm not no, going to do it. Oh, Allison, I'm so happy to be doing season two. I'm so happy that it's spooky season, mm-hmm. even if Halloween is canceled. Mm. I'm still happy. I'm still happy about it.
0: Me too. I'm looking forward to when it cools down a little bit. Being pregnant. <laughs> You're
1: like, I'm just happy. <laughs> Pregnancy in the middle <laughs> of the summer not is
0: fun. not fun. Awful. I'm,
1: sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Well, thank you to all of those listeners, all y'all listeners who are downloading all this stuff. I hope that this was a good. Season two, episode one for y'all. Remember to subscribe. Subscribe, please. And rate and review. It really helps people find us, um, especially on iTunes and Stitcher and, you know, those major pod finders. Check us out on social media. All the links to our social media are on the website, obviouslyhaunted.com. And that's where you can also find show notes and other fun links on obviouslyhaunted.com you can also contact us send us your own spooky experiences if you are the people who live in that Culver City entity house and <laughs> weird stuff has happened to you or you believe that nothing weird has ever happened there or whatever you have opinions email us at obviouslyhauntedpodcast at gmail.com and yeah thanks for listening thank you and remember Culver City, California is obviously, obviously haunted.
0: haunted. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Awesome. So that
0: one was yeah. fun. That was creepy. That's good.